It's good to be in worship with you this morning, church. If we have not met, as Pastor Marvin said, my name is James. I get the privilege of leading the Ignite student ministry alongside my wife. Sixth uh, through twelfth grade is what that is uh, entails, and we love ministering to students, discipling students. Uh, she's in Columbia right now, Valentina, visiting her her family. So please pray for your boy, because I need uh, help, miss her, and, uh, but she's enjoying time with her family, glad to be able, it really is a privilege to be able to open God's word with you, and a, a quick shameless plug for our summer retreat coming up, and that is at the end of August, we're going to Camp Berea, you can sign up by using the QR code there. If you're a student grade 6 through 12, or you have a student grade 6 through 12, please get signed up for this retreat. Um, God uses these moments in students' lives in such a deep and profound way. We want uh, our students to get good educations. We want the best for them. But ultimately, uh, we believe that them trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior is the number one uh, goal, the, the number one most important thing they could ever do for their lives. And so if you want more info on that, come talk to me, talk to Valentina. We would love to have you. And, and just celebrating quickly what God's doing in our youth group. We are baptizing four students on Tuesday night. I'm just here to, to continue to, yes. God is moving. God is moving. There is, there is a, a mini revival happening here uh, in our youth group, in our church. And so that is just so exciting to be a part of. And so just want to celebrate that. Come join us on Tuesday night. Uh, pastor Rick's on vacation. I get to open the word, and so if you don't like the message this morning, I'm not the normal pastor that uh, comes up here. On a, so you're, you're lucky. But uh, we, we teach the Bible here at Mount Hope. We open the Bible every week because the Bible is true. It is the word of God. It is uh, where we find our life, where we find wisdom, and it's actually truer than true. And what I mean by that is there, there are things that are true in our lives. And, and for instance, take the, the Burlington Mass Census of 2019. Uh, you know, there was 25,000 people say that live in Burlington. I, I don't know if that's exactly true, but it's close. In 2019, that was true. And in 2022, if we took it again, and it will come out, it, it's going to be different. It won't be the same. Maybe it's grown a little bit. It doesn't mean that it wasn't true. When it was taken, God's word is true, and it is truer than true because it is timeless. It is timeless for all people, for all places, for all generations. And as we open it this morning, we get to meet with the creator of the universe. How awesome is that? These aren't just some wise sayings that we apply to our lives to, to make ourselves better, but actually we meet with the creator of the universe when we open his word. And so... The passage that we find ourselves in this morning, Luke chapter 16, the parable of the dishonest manager, or your translation might call it the unjust steward. It's one of those passages that as we sit in our preaching planning meeting on Tuesday, and it comes up and we look at it and we say, Pastor Marvin, Pastor Rick, sitting around the table, say, you know what? We're going to give this one to James. We're going <laughs> to give this one to the youth pastor. It's a complicated text. We'll, we'll let James take. I, the past three sermons I've given, uh, essentially the, the topics, uh, circumcision, evangelism, and now money, and one of the hardest parables Jesus has ever given. So 
Please don't fire me, Pastor Rick. If you are watching this, hope you're enjoying your vacation. Please don't fire me. Have you ever been fired from a job? Speaking of that, speaking of being fired, have you, don't raise your hand. Have you ever been fired from a job? <laughs> Did you know it was coming? Did you know it was coming? You get an email from your manager, or hey, would you come see me in my office? Maybe you've been playing around in the company time. You've been messing around with Solitaire or Minesweeper, and, and you know you're in trouble. Your number's about to get called, and, and your, job's, your job is running out. You're about to get fired. What do you do in that moment? Like, all of a sudden, things start running and flowing through your mind, right? Like, I got to provide for my family. I have to eat. I I have to have money to live. This is why Jesus talks about money uh, one-third of his parables. Parables are a little story that communicate a big truth. And he talks about money one-third of the time. And it's because he knows that that money is important to us. We need money to be able to, to live But also, he knows how it has the ability to grab our hearts. And people have done some crazy things for money, right? I mean, if you've watched CSI, right? People have done some crazy things. If your spouse takes out a $1 million life insurance policy on you, watch out. Like, you just never know. You never know. Money makes people do crazy things. And, and so Jesus is going to speak to money, and we're going to meet someone in Luke chapter 16 who is in a similar situation to you if you've lost your job. He's just lost his job, and he is trying to figure out what am I going to do in order to be able to keep this thing going. And to just give you a little bit of the context, we've been uh, talking about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, the lost son. Things have been going up in value, increasing, right? And, and it's mainly been a rebuke on the Pharisees. That's what this whole thing has been about. Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. He's rebuking the fact that even though they're supposed to be the spiritual guys of the time, they are lovers of money. They are self-exalting. And so he's been rebuking them here in these texts. He now turns to his disciples in Luke chapter 16. And he's speaking to his disciples But they aren't the only ones listening. The Pharisees are listening as well. We find that out at the end of the passage in in verse 14. It actually says that they were eavesdropping and they scoff uh, at Jesus for what he says. But let's jump into this uh, parable. Luke chapter 16, I want to pray. And would you pray with me that God would speak to us this morning through his word. Lord, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord even as we just sang, that you are enough for us. Lord, would you give us the faith to believe that you truly are enough for us and that you are the solid rock upon which we stand. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. He also said, he being Jesus, to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do 
so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. I'll just stop right there for a moment. What? What did we, go and do likewise. (laughs) No, what did we just read? What's happening here? It sounds like there's some bad, uh, shady behavior going on, and it's being commended. This is, this is nobody's favorite parable. Nobody's favorite parable. This, you don't put this in your Instagram bio. It's, it's not uh, on a coffee cup. But some things I want to point out here so that we can try to wrap our heads around what is going on here. The master commends the dishonest manager, not for his dishonesty, but for his shrewdness. Shrewdness being uh, the definition in the, in the Webster's Dictionary marked by clever, discerning awareness and hard-headed acumen. So as I said, some translations will call him the, the, the shrewd steward, the unjust steward, the unjust manager. And the master, this guy's been pretty shrewd. The master's probably thinking, couldn't you have done this when you were working for me? Like, you're fired, by the way, buddy. Come in. We're, 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 t- we're taking an account of everything that has happened, right? We just read about the prodigal son. This is the prodigal manager, the wasteful manager. Prodigal means wasteful. And so he is wasting, living lavishly with his master's possessions. I don't know if this is uh, trips to Vegas. I, I don't know what's happening here, but it says it is the present active participle wasting his possessions. So this was not a one-time deal. This guy is not managing what his master has given him well. So the master says, hey, we're going through the books. We're bringing the auditor in. Let's go through the receipts. Let's see what you've been doing. And by the way, you're fired. And so this guy, this this manager, this unjust manager says, I'm in trouble. What am I going to do here? I, I'm not strong enough to, to dig. I've never been to an Orange Theory fitness class in my life. Never closed an Apple Watch activity ring. I'm too skinny. I, I, I can't dig. I can't beg. And I, don't, I don't want to beg. What am I going to do? And then all this, the, the wheels start to turn, right? Uh, he, he's, this is self-preservation. How am I going to, uh, to do it? So he's not only losing his job, He's losing his his paycheck, his means for providing. He's losing his influence with people. He is, uh, like his name will be ruined. He's losing most likely the place where he lived because he would have lived on his master's property. Uh, And this guy owns a lot of stuff because he's not even involved in the situation. He's like, hey, you manage it for me. He's really, really rich. He's like, what do I do? I'm not going to have a place to live. No one's going to be friends with me. I know what I'll do. So he says, I'm going to go to my master's debtors and I'm going to give them a discount so that they will be indebted to me. And then in that culture of honor, 
Now you owe me a place to, to sleep. Hey, you owe my master uh, this oil. It would have been three years wages. It's like a thousand gallons of oil. You owe my master this. I'll cut it in half, 50% discount. Sit down quick, sign on the dotted line. Let's get this thing done. You owe my master this much wheat? Give you a 20% discount off the top. You pay right now. And what he's doing is he's indebting other people to himself so that he can survive. This is, this is like you getting a call from your credit card company like, hey, you owe this amount of money, 50% discount right now. We'll clean it up for you. Like, yeah, tell me where to sign. These people are quick to, to pay this bill. But this is kind of a, a, a dirty, conniving, scheming way. And, he, and surprisingly, his boss compliments him. What's, what's happening here? So you have a worldly boss who praises a worldly manager for worldly wisdom. And Jesus says the sons of this world are, are smart or are shrewd in their dealings. The sons of this world act to secure their own future. The sons of this world being unbelievers. Unbelievers. Sons of light, believers in Jesus. Sons of this world, unbelievers. The sons of this world act to secure their own future in very clever and conniving ways. It is all about self-preservation. How do I keep it going? How do I get to the next paycheck? They use the resources honestly or even dishonestly to secure the best future for themselves that they can possibly secure. And Jesus says, don't be surprised. This is how the sons of this age operate. That's why we need auditors. That's why we need uh, that for people who are scheming and conniving all the time. This is how the sons of this world act. Jesus says he was being shrewd. Verse nine, and I tell you, it gets even weirder, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Think worldly wealth, wealth of this world. Make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. This guy has used his shrewdness to secure for himself future dwellings in this life. Jesus is not uh, commending sin or commending dishonesty, but this guy can now go and knock on the doors and say, hey, you owe me. So he has secured for himself in this life by his actions, his scheming, his conniving. He has secured for himself temporal dwelling. Jesus isn't commending that sinful behavior. He's using a bad example or a, a good example from a bad lesson should say, a good example from a bad lesson. We can all do that, right? We can, if we want to know what to do, we can look at what not to do. We can look at the negative example. Jesus is teaching a good lesson here through the bad example of the shrewd manager. Jesus is saying this guy was being shrewd with his temporal future, but all of the shrewdness in the world will come to an end for this deceitful man when his worldly wealth fails. His worldly wealth will fail and his shrewdness and deceitfulness will come to the end. And then Jesus is saying here, hey, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Let me show you how to secure for yourself eternal dwelling. Let me show you how to secure for yourself a future that is going to last. That's what he's going to teach us here. For some wealth fails in this life. 
for everyone, wealth fails at the end of this life. You've heard the old adage, right? You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. You can't take the house with you. You can't take the car with you. you. Can't take the jewelry with you. They don't need it. They pave the streets in gold up there. They, they have plenty of it. Can't take it with you. And yet so many of us put our security, our satisfaction in the temporal things of this world, trying to buy our temporary security. And Jesus is saying, let me show you how to get eternal security. Each one of us, you and I, will stand before the Lord. And there is nothing that you or I could do to be sufficient in our saving. It's by his grace, through faith alone. And it's nothing that we bought we can't buy it. We can't secure it. Jesus bought it. Jesus paid for it. Jesus secured it. That's what we believe. And yet, we are so often short-sighted thinking that we can with the wealth, the worldly wealth of this world in this life, instead of using our wealth to be an opportunity to give and to love and to serve people, nothing that, that we brought with us is going to make it into heaven. And so because of that, Jesus is saying, use it. Don't worship it. Use your wealth. Use your worldly wealth. Don't worship it. It's a terrible God. It's a terrible idol. It's a great tool. And so he's saying, use your wealth. And, and so, oh, hold up. Is Jesus saying, uh, buy friends? Is this what Jesus is saying? Buy your friends? It's, it's, it's what it seems like he says in verse 9, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. What is Jesus saying here? You can plant and invest your money, your resources, your investments into things that are going to matter in the kingdom and therefore buy yourself a welcoming committee when you one day enter into heaven. You can use your money to help and to serve and to be generous. Use the worldly wealth, the tool that God has given us in order to secure for yourself friends that are, are one day going to welcome you into heaven. What would this look like if we as a church learned how to use the, the wealth that we have, small or big, as a tool for the, for the kingdom of God? What if we started to meet the needs of the people in our church? You have a need, we're going to meet it. What if you are able to be generous with your neighbor and you say, uh, you don't have a car, you can't put food on the table, here, use my car, here, we'll buy you food. What if you're able to help that single mother who, who can't uh, afford to, to make a rent payment and you say, it's okay, we'll take care of it. And you are able to use your worldly wealth as a tool for the kingdom of God. And so that when people say, why are you being so generous? We're able to say, well, I know a guy that was generous with me and his name is Jesus. And we're able to share the gospel with them and we're able to make kingdom investments. That would change our community. That would change our church. If we, could, if we could just grasp hold of that to say the, the, the money, the resources, the, the wealth that God has given me in this life, small or big, I'm going to use it as a tool for the kingdom of God. 
I'm going to give it to uh, places that preach the gospel. I am going to give it to the training and, and building up of those who will go out and preach the gospel. That is a kingdom investment. And that is how we use our money to buy friends for ourselves, to make friends for ourselves in the kingdom of heaven so that one day we'll have a welcome party when we show up with how we use the resources that God gave us. That's how we secure an eternal dwelling place, not just a temporary one in this world that will fail. What does this look like? It could be a, a fund that you set aside where it is for the purposes of giving to gospel efforts, for the purpose of blessing and being generous with others. It could be starting a side hustle, a secondary stream of income to, to be able to have money, to be able to give and to be able to be generous with others. Be a shrewd steward who worships God, loves people with generosity and grace. And do not put your hope in wealth. That's what God is saying to us through his word. The wealth will fail and ultimately will fail. And so as it will fail, use it now for the kingdom of God, which will never fail. And so you say, James, I don't have much. I don't have much at all. If I had more, if I only had more, then I would give. I just don't have a lot. And, And I don't know if that's necessarily true. And you say, well, you don't know me. Don't judge me. Well, Jesus knows you. And in verse 10, he says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? It's never about the amount of what you have, but it's about the heart. It's about who you are and what your priorities are. That, uh, understanding that the wealth of this world doesn't save, and the Bible tells us that where our heart is, that's where our treasure is going to lie. He says that earlier in Luke, that our heart will reveal our treasure or our treasure reveals our heart. Look at this in, in just a few, chapter, a few chapters previous to this in Luke chapter 12. And, and I love that the, the heading of this title is don't be anxious. Right? Do you think we have an anxiety problem in our world? Don't be anxious. Verse 22 of chapter 12 in Luke, he said to the disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they never sow nor reap. They neither have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heavens in heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your car has gauges in it, right? Speed, temperature, fuel, one of the gauges that God has given you and I for our hearts is our wealth. It's our wealth. Because oftentimes we might say, well, I don't know where my heart is really at. And the gauge that God has given us for our hearts to kind of check what has our heart, what has our affection, what has our devotion the gauge he has given us for it is wealth. And it's never about an amount of how much you have. It is who or what has your heart. And so I, I want to be clear that this is not prosperity uh, theology. This is not even poverty theology. This is not the, the holier you get to God, the more uh, he'll stack up for you. Uh, this is not even uh, sell all your things and live under a bridge, though maybe if your stuff does have a hold of your heart, maybe you do need to do that. But I don't think that that's what Jesus is saying to us on either extreme. But what he is telling us is, he may not want to increase our standard of living necessarily, but in increase a standard of giving. Like in increase a standard of what we are able to give from what he has given to us. And so verse 11, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? If you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Basically, he's saying here, if you are unfaithful in the unrighteous wealth, the worldly wealth, the wealth of this world, you are missing out on spiritual blessings in eternity. Right? Paul tells us in Corinthians, sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, generously, reap bountifully and generously. This is not to be unwise with our finances. That's not what this is this morning. Wisdom is faithful stewardship with the resources we've been given, big or small, to invest in eternal purposes, not the fading ones, the eternal purposes. And, and, and because he's called the unjust steward, it, it, I wanna just quickly talk about that for a moment, the word stewardship. Here's the big idea. The big idea, we are all stewards. The question is, are we good ones or are we bad ones? That's the question. Every one of us is a steward. We've all been given everything that we have from God. We are not owners of anything. What, what, is, the, what is the bank? Do, if any of you have money in the bank, does the bank own your money or are they a steward of your money? Well, they're a steward. You're a steward of the money that you have. If you show up to the bank and you say, uh, yeah, I'd like to, make to, like to make a withdrawal, please. They say, oh, yeah, we actually, uh, we got rid of that. Sorry. 
Some unchristian thoughts, unchristian words start to run through your mind, right? You would be furious. But the bank is a steward of what they have been entrusted in the same way. We own nothing. We are stewards of everything. A steward is someone who, who has been given something and then wisely invests it. And so we are not owners. We are stewards and this is the, the truth is everything belongs to God. Everything belongs, it's, it's all his. It's all his. Genesis chapter one, in the beginning God. It's all his. He made it. He can take it back when he wants it. It's all, he distributes it as he sees fit. And we are simply stewards of what we have received. And he entrusts to each of us money to, to spend on the things we need, to, to give to God, to the purposes of God, to help the poor and the needy, to make smart investments for the future. But we are stewards. We're not owners. We're stewards. Owners say, this is mine. I do what I want with it. Stewards say, this is God's. How do you want me to use it? It's not how much I, I give to you. It's actually how much I get to keep. <laughs> Lord, how much do you want me to keep? And so verse 12 he kind of, uh, verse 13, sorry, he kind of wraps it up here, distills all of this down into the final verse that we'll look at. And he says, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. The context is money. The language here is a, a language of worship to serve. So it, it is a, a, a language of worship. And on our money, it says, in God we trust. But how oftentimes is it in this God that we trust? Right? And, and we are so oftentimes servants of our money, worshipers of our money. The love of money has led to the ruin of many, many lives. And I want to read a, a passage from 1 Timothy. It says this. Paul writing to Timothy, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ in teaching, the accords with God, teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The root of all evil is the love of money. It's not money, it's the love of money. You can have a lot of money and not love it. 
And you can have no money and be filled with an insatiable desire of love for money. And so once again, this, this is not the amount that we have. It is who has your heart. And John Calvin uh, has a great quote. He says, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. Covetousness makes us slaves of the devil. Where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. And so what does this mean for us this morning? Burlington, Massachusetts, July 24th, 2022, as we sit here this morning, what does this mean? We've seen that the, the shrewd steward was, was so focused to curing a, a temporary dwelling, not focused on the eternal. Jesus says the sons of light. No, we make friends for ourselves in eternity through the use of wealth. And so the question for, for us that, that I have for you this morning is, is, do you serve God or do you serve money? Do you serve God or do you serve money? James, I know that one. I got it, right? I, obviously, I, I serve God. That, that's the right answer. Right? We know that. But let's ask a few questions to examine our hearts this morning. And the first one is this. Who do you compare yourself to financially? Who do you compare yourself to financially? And, and in, a, in a world of the internet, we've been ruined with this comparison because man you, you could have just bought a house and now you're on Zillow and ooh, it's a nicer house than I wish I wish we had that one or you see the vacations that others are going how in the world do they afford to always be on vacation I gotta get my I gotta keep stacking my money so that I can be going on vacations like that vacations aren't bad homes aren't bad what it does is lead to a lack of generosity because we, are, we become stingy and we become greedy when the love of money takes root in our heart. And now we are no longer able to be generous with what God has given us because we're trying to stack it up to compare ourselves to others. And so who do you compare yourself to financially? It zaps us of our joy as well. I, I can remember uh, going to Puerto Rico in 2018 with our youth group right after they had experienced the hurricane. And, and some of you in here were with me on that trip. And there was this woman named Wanda. And I can just remember, she didn't have much, but the little that she had, she welcomed us into her little home and she made us food and she was so loving and she, she had nothing to give. But yet what she had, she gave joyfully. She gave generously. And she had the joy of the Lord and she was able to be generous with what God has given us. That's what, uh, that's what a, a love for God and, and rooting out the love of money helps us to do. It frees us up to be generous for the kingdom of God. So do you worship your money or do you worship with your money? Do you worship your money or do you worship with your money? And, and, and here's what I mean by that. Worshiping our money will make us greedy. It makes us stingy. It makes us hold on to it and not be generous. But if you worship with your money, you will seek to be a shrewd steward and generous towards the things of God that build his kingdom. That's what happens when we worship with our money, when we worship God with what he's given us. We are shrewd stewards building his kingdom. 
if Jesus made your budget, what would be different? If Jesus sat down with you every month and and set your budget for you, what would be different? If we are the stewards and not the owner, what would look different in our budgets if Jesus was the one who set it for us? Maybe there are, uh, maybe even things now that we can can think through and say, "Ah, I hope the Lord is even setting those things on our heart this morning. And then lastly, why is Jesus a better God than money? Why is Jesus a better God than money? Here's what money offers. The lie is that it offers security, that it offers comfort, that it offers identity. I can can buy a new identity with this money. I can make people think this way about me. And that's the lie of money, is that it buys our identity, gives us our identity, it gives us security, and it gives us comfort. And do you know why Jesus is a better God than money? He gives us all of those things. He gives us all of those things. Uh, He gives it to us, and it's actually there. It's actually lasting. We find our identity in Jesus Christ. When we know that our debt has been paid, we've been bought with a price, that we are his, that we are stewards of of what he's given us, and now we get to go be conduits to the world of his goodness and his grace, that it flows to us, in us, and now through us to the world. Now that is our identity. We are children of the king. We are heirs to his kingdom. That's our identity. And so money doesn't buy us an identity. It doesn't buy us a true identity. It buys one that fades away. It doesn't give us comfort. The lie of comfort, but Jesus gives us true rest. Jesus gives us true comfort. Jesus gives us true security, knowing that we are secure in him whether we have a lot or whether we have a little. He gives us security, and so he's a better God than money. Don't worry and be anxious about investing in this age where you can only provide a future that ultimately will fail. Instead, be a really shrewd investor and invest in people's lives and use your resources for the glory of God and the eternal good of others. There's a song we're going to sing as we close, and I love one of the lines that we will sing together. And as Pastor Marvin said, what a, what a beautiful sound it is to come into the house of God and hear the people of God sing, lift up their voices in worship to him. The line of the song says, Riches I heed not, nor vain empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Let's pray. Lord, we admit that we are so often we're distracted by the pursuit of money. We are worshipers of money at times. Lord, we need your grace. We need your Holy Spirit to work 
in our hearts. Lord, would you make us a church? Would you make us a community? Would you make us a people that, that know the gift that we have received in you and are bringing it to our world, bringing it to our community? letting your love flow through us, securing eternal dwelling places with the, the wealth and the money and the resources that you have given to us and entrusted to us. Lord, help us to be faithful stewards of what you've given to us. Lord, if there's anything in our hearts today that needs your Holy Spirit to, to do the work that only you can do, would you do that this morning? Would you root out any love of money Would you show us your greatness, the security, the identity, the comfort that is offered in knowing you and following you? Lord, if there's someone in our church right now who has a need, who has a need and they don't know how they're gonna meet it, they don't know how they're going to make it, Lord, would you raise up the people of God to meet those needs? Lord, would you lead us to those opportunities so that we can show your love? Lord, help us to be faithful stewards with what you have given us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.